Hey, welcome to After Church Apologetics. I'm Courtney Seacrest here with Dr. Chris Jakeway and Pastor Leo Wilson, and we're inviting you to join us today in uncovering the truths that will challenge, inspire, and expand your perspective on Christianity. So let's get started. Welcome back. Today's question is, what is hell like? Is it a place of real fire? I always put myself in a position of, if I asked this question, what would I be thinking? And I'm, I would hope that in this case, the person's not like, oh man, I, I'm in trouble. Uh, or weighing their options. Yeah, or weighing your <laughs> options, right? Like, okay, how bad is hell? Because yeah. I, I have a problem. There's some things I want to do. There's, some of, there's this sin that I, I just really think is the greatest thing ever. And, and I hope that's not the case. I hope none of that's the case with this. But you know, why not the question of like, well, what about heaven and hell? Why wouldn't you talk about like eternal destinations together when you're weighing your options? Why are we just talking about hell in a real place of fire? And I think maybe there's some hard issues there, but we'll talk about those later. Chris, what do you have on that subject of what is hell like? Well, there are a lot of images to describe it. The Bible uses the term Gehenna, uh, which means lake of fire. And that's the Greek translation for an actual place in Jerusalem that was called the Valley of Hinnom. That was a place of child sacrifice in Jesus's time. It was a, a garbage dump, a place where they're burning trash. There was constant fire. It basically, it was the worst place that anyone knew. So that's the origin of the, uh, of the image here that without Jesus, sin will cause us to be Matthew 18, nine thrown into Gehenna the fire of hell. Probably the most well-known verse is this, uh, Revelation 20, verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So the question people have, and it's a good question, I think, uh, is that fire literal? Is it physical fire? Well, the first point that I think is overlooked is in Matthew 25, 41, Jesus says, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Physical fire can't burn something for an infinite amount of time. So we're already dealing with something other than what we might normally encounter in the physical world. In hell, in Mark 9, 48, the fire is not quenched, it says. So this fire, whatever it is, is something different. Biblically, Satan and fallen angels are spirit beings. They don't have physical bodies, which means it's a place to punish them, and literal physical fire wouldn't do anything to them. That would be like uh, shooting a spirit being with a gun, so uh, it, it would actually make it easier for people in hell, certainly for Satan and demons, if it was physical fire. It has to be something more than that, or it's not a punishment. And here's a second point that gets overlooked. Fire is the most common description of hell, I think, due to mostly medieval literature and you know contemporary images. But it's not the only image of hell in the Bible. Scripture actually describes hell many different ways. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, Peter says false teachers will be in hell, and it describes it as 
saying blackest darkness is reserved for them. So at least one of those, fire or darkness, or or maybe both, is used as a symbol to represent the terrible nature of it. Fire produces light, not darkness. So at least one of those is symbolic. In Matthew 8, 12, all unbelievers, it says, will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So is there fire or is it dark? Or for that matter, is hell a pit or a lake or a furnace? Because Matthew 13, 42 says they will throw them into, not outside something, but into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So are they thrown outside or inside? Matthew 24, 51, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing. They'll be cut to pieces. So what happens first, the, the burning or the cutting? I mean, there are a lot of images here. We also see this in Revelation 20, verse 3. He threw him, referring to Satan, into the abyss. The King James says the bottomless pit. The ESV also says pit. And in Revelation 9, 2-3, when he opened the abyss, or the pit, smoke rose from it, and out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth. Well, locusts are a symbol of judgment in the book of Joel. It's not a physical description. It's not like God saying, I'll show you, there'll be lots of flying grasshoppers, and you're not going to like it. It, it. I mean, clearly this is an image here. It'll be far worse than that. Finally, in uh, Revelation 20, verse 10, the devil was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur and will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So the point is, it's hard to see how all of those descriptions are physical, right? That would make hell... Because there are people that say, well, you have to take everything literally. Well, sure we do, unless the context suggests otherwise. If all those descriptions of hell we just looked at are literal, that would make hell a place of some weird black fire that doesn't produce light, and the fire is in a lake that levitates over a bottomless pit, which has sulfur and locusts in the shape of a furnace, you know, I mean... God is omnipotent, so anything's possible, but uh, God also inspired people to write with images that can be understood and that are explained in Scripture. And it's important to understand also, by acknowledging the use of symbols and some occasional metaphorical language, we're not suggesting that that makes Scripture less true or that it makes hell less real. It's just that sometimes the biblical writers are writing about things that they don't have adequate words for. Here's the description of Jesus, just by comparison, Revelation 1, 14 to 16. His head and hair were white as snow. That doesn't mean Jesus has white hair when we'll see him. Back in Daniel 7, verse 9, that's a symbol for divinity. His eyes were like blazing fire. Daniel 7, this represents the judgment of God. His feet were like bronze, the glory of God in Ezekiel 127. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. That's the majesty of God in Ezekiel 43. 
In his right hand were seven stars. That's the power of God to protect the messengers. We see that in the first chapter of Revelation. And out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. Well, we know this is God's word. Isaiah 11, book of Hebrews. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Well, again, if we take all of those as physical descriptions, then that would mean when we see Jesus, he'll have white hair with fire shooting out of his giant sun head and bronze feet and his voice is a huge waterfall and, you know, that kind of thing. His right hand evidently is enormous because he's holding stars. In the place of a tongue, he'll have a sword in his mouth. Well, again, that's possible, but it, it doesn't seem likely. And no one in the history of the church has ever interpreted those in a literal, physical kind of sense. That's because Scripture explains those images. It's the same thing with hell here. We don't know exactly what it looks like, but those images make it clear that it will be an absolutely horrible place. That's the purpose of those descriptions. It's not to try to tell us what it looks like, because even even seeing this in terms of visual appearance is to limit it to the physical world. And this is a place to uh, separate from God and punish spiritual beings. By the way, uh, symbols are also used of heaven. Uh, remember in Revelation 21, 11, it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a precious jewel, clear as crystal. So John, again, is using symbols here to inspire awe and wonder. That this is metaphorical doesn't diminish the reality behind them. It's that heaven isn't so ordinary that it can be fully described with words. And it's the same with hell, so they use images. And actually, some of the popular images of heaven aren't accurate. How often have you heard people say there will be streets of gold? You know, what it actually says in Revelation 21, 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls, uh, each gate made of a single pearl. I've said before that would require like a 200-foot oyster. Well, it's probably not something uh, physical here. The great street of the city was of pure gold-like transparent glass. Most people think they're going to be walking on metal. But it's crystal, actually, is the theme, which, by the way, was the inspiration for stained glass windows, that verse in the uh, uh, the Middle Ages. So the point is that if we try to interpret heaven physically, it winds up being a giant jewelry store that actually diminishes its glory. It's a symbolic way of saying heaven's very valuable. So Heaven is clearly more glorious than human language can describe, and hell is more terrible than human language can describe. Yeah, I think you've taught me this over the years, Chris, the idea that we need to read scripture with what the author intended to convey. In all those descriptions of either fire or darkness, I think we're not to convey a description of what hell is, but to the idea of maybe its severity. And even even those images, I think, are intentional. The idea that Christ is the light of life, right? That darkness would be the opposite of that. It reminds me of the definition that uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis who gave it, which is hell is a location in which 
the people there are, have the door locked from the inside. They don't want God as part of their life. So what does that mean? With the idea of he is the light of life, that would be darkness if I was trying to convey it. Fire was a common thing of destruction in Jesus's day. That I mean, it wasn't like a bulldozer and a wrecking crew. It was that you burn things, right? You knock stones over. So those are all descriptions of like the idea of being separated from God, the giver of life. So I think those images are intentional to make you think of the opposite of what God brings. So the moral of the story is to get right with God. Get right with God. If your focus is hell, get right with God. (laughs) Thanks for hanging out with us on After Church Apologetics today. To submit a question for a future episode of our show, you can email us at podcast at bcfriends.org. Remember, the pursuit of truth is ongoing. So we'd like to encourage you to continue seeking and engaging with the topics that we've discussed for yourselves. And as we conclude this episode, we want to remind you that respectful dialogue can bridge gaps and build connections. We'll see you next time.